Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, deep conversations in tarot medicine for your highest evolution. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being with me today. Happy Beltane to everyone in the Northern Hemisphere. Happy Samhain to everyone in the Southern Hemisphere. Today is May 1st, May Day. Um, it is an absolutely beautiful day. Uh, energetically, even if you're not feeling like in the best mood today, there really is the experience there really is a container of literally so much possibility in this day today to not just shift out of any bad moods or difficult times, but to open to the possibility and the medicine of what Beltane and Samhain, depending on where you are in the world, really means and really is bringing. And I'm going to share a little bit about that before we get to our monthly medicine, which I know everyone loves, and uh, it's my delight to bring it to you today. Um, Beltane is a midway point in the northern hemisphere between the spring and summer equinoxes. It's a fire festival, which is a very... uh, like underwhelming way of putting it. It's so much more than that. Really, it's a day when we honor life. We honor animals, the body, our breath, our sexuality, our sensuality, the life fire, the flame that burns in us. Um, and so often, uh, in its Celtic origins that was extended and still is to this day. If people are going off to celebrate Beltane somewhere, um, there usually are bonfires. There is an element of fire because we're honoring the heat of summer. We're honoring the life, again, that flame that exists within all of us. And we're lighting it to honor, um, you know, pretty much the, like the sexual center that all of us have birth, et cetera. It's really this incredible time of light of harvest. And the element of fire is not just there to represent like heat and sexuality. It's also there just simply as an element of light. Beltane comes from the Celtic word bell, which literally means bringer of light. So there's a lot about this day in the Northern Hemisphere that is a celebration and an honoring of just life itself. And it's not an accident that this day comes in the midst of Taurus, which I would say of all the signs in the Zodiac, maybe Leo in its own way, has the most to do with the life fire, the life blood, the passion, and the possibility of what it is to be alive in these bodies. Taurus rules is ruled by Venus and it's so much about beauty and fecundity and creativity and how beautiful, how lush, how sensuous can it be? That is all Taurus. And it's really reflected in the mantra that came through today. How Beltane extends to this, you don't have to do some giant ritual to honor Beltane. If you see some hawthorn flowers, which is known as the Mayflower, it's a very important part of Beltane medicine. It goes back a very long time. 
Hawthorne represents hope, protection. It's a very powerful symbol of fertility. Beltane is a huge time to honor our fertility, whether that be in a literal sense, physically, if we're fertile or pregnant or want to be pregnant, or if we're looking toward a kind of a more general sense of fertility in terms of our creativity, our life zest. It's it's just like I can tell, you can feel it. And if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, unless you're someplace particularly cold today or still sort of in the winter, here in New York, the trees are blooming, the flowers are out. It's a really special time. And May 1st really is a time in general where we can look outside on the Northern Hemisphere and see life. We start to feel more alive. We come out of the intensity of Aries season, out of the messiness of of really early spring and our newborn energy kind of shifts into something a little bit more grounded and um, perky and full. And Beltane is really the day to honor it. So whether you're dancing around the maypole today or you're just simply lighting a candle in your house thanking your body for all it does, blessing all aspects of yourself, whatever feels like it's in alignment with this idea of inner fire, whatever you do, even if it's just a walk outside, I really hope that you take a moment for yourself. You know, nature is, say what we will about all this, even this podcast, like nothing is, nothing is a truer invitation back to center, back to truth, back to what's possible than spending some time outside in what's real, what's coming, what's growing, what's dying, what's birthing, what's about to pass and giving yourself the chance to feel into that today on such a special day, I think is a real gift. Um, so for my Southern hemisphere folks, this is your Samhain. And in many ways, it's basically the same idea, but the inversion of Beltane. So we honor Samhain in the Southern Hemisphere as the midway point between the fall and the winter equinoxes. And it is a time that is very contingent on fire as well. We're keeping the sacred flame. We're keeping it going to honor our ancestors, what has died. We're looking to colder nights and shorter days. And in belt on Beltane, we're looking to warmer nights and or warmer days and longer nights. So I think I have that backward, but warm, long, you get the idea. With Samhain, we're honoring this the day of the dead, the Celtic day of the dead. So on this day, we honor what is ready to pass, what is ready to die, both in our lives and anything that is ready to go. We're honoring who has passed in our lives, who we are loving, who we are keeping the flame warm for. And it's a day of powerful magic looking into the darkness rather than the light. And when I say darkness and light, I'm not talking about positive, negative. I'm talking about what the light offers and what the dark offers and each are sacred options. So we have this beautiful day that continues to show us that our planet is so capable, as I said in the sacred wheel today, of holding light and dark at the same time with absolutely no problem. What a teacher for us. 
you know, what a profound teacher for every single one of us to remember that we too are capable of this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of beauty to it. So for Samhain, some really beautiful things to do on this day are to light a candle, honor the ancestors, drop into your own ritual of releasing and clearing and looking to deeper alignment with the idea of hibernation and of cocooning and of listening, becoming more receptive rather than active as we are becoming here on the Northern Hemisphere. There's so many beautiful ways, but really you don't have to do anything. You can just keep it in your heart. And again, just take a walk outside or look out your window and you'll get the full, you'll get the full treatment. So May, wow, what powerful, I was so, you know, I channel these things (laughs) and I, when they come through me, a lot of the time have to give myself a moment to be like, source, like, really? (laughs) Like, swimming in the void? Are you serious? Or whatever it might be. Um, I have to take a moment. This one was such a delight to let come through me and to hear in the cards that I pulled were such a reflection of that. Uh, It was really lovely. Um, The mantra for the month of May is, let there be light. Let there be light. This works on so many different levels. It works on the literal level. And again, you know, some folks hearing this might be somewhere that's starting to get cold. This applies to you too, because of the work that we do around the idea of keeping the flame going in the dark. We can see in the Northern Hemisphere, the rise of the light. We can see the change in the light. We can see that shift. And in the Southern Hemisphere, it's, you know, even though the days are getting a little shorter, the welcoming of what light is there is so precious and so much a part of what the medicine of May is all about. May, we go into May on two very parallel celebrations and considerations of the theme of light. May is the month of light and is present in this mantra that came through, but it's the perfect way to begin to look at where we are. We are letting the light in. We are also letting the light within us out. That's a huge part of this month. It's a very, energetically speaking, very extroverted month. There's a lot of, like we have three of wands, we have king of, we have king of wands. There, there is really big energy shifting us to an external perspective, um, which is interesting. Sometimes that happens for us when the seasons don't really align. Now they really do, especially in the North. There is an element of light bearing that came through too. When I was thinking about this, this is really the month where, so not to be like too repetitive or whatever, but in January, January is a month, January, February, 
up until from January 1st to March 20th, we're cocooning. We think we're going into a new year. We set these intentions and it's ridiculous because no offense, I do it too, but it's ridiculous because we're cocooning. The year doesn't start until March 20th. It's the period. It's the first day of spring. And you can argue with it technically, but if you really look astrologically, if you look at the idea of being in Capricorn, in Aquarius, in Pisces, these are deep cocooning times. We need Capricorn to launch us into the new year. This is why we go in, in the medicine of Capricorn, but Aries, is what starts the year. It's when the cocoon sheds and the butterfly comes out, it's the birth of the baby. And anyone who's given birth to a baby knows it's, it's a miracle. It's gorgeous, but there's also messy times. (laughs) Like it's very intense. Aries season is the newborn time. It's the newborn phase. It's the fourth trimester. We are always in that no matter what we do, no matter the year, you can almost always count on that. The idea of it being just an incredibly intense time in April, pretty much. You can almost always count on it. This month, this April was beyond intense because of the level of rigorous work we were asked to do in the Mercury retrograde, in some of the Saturn aspects, in our um, Uranus aspects. And we're going to talk a little bit about Uranus on this episode. But I want to bring that into the mind because of the significance of the bigness of May. May is the month where we get our feet under us. We start thinking, we start opening our eyes. We know how to use our hands. We're up on our feet. We understand this life a little better. We're getting a sense of things. Taurus is really the time when you can almost feel the click into, oh, okay, I'm in this year. I can feel this. I know what's going on. Okay, cool. I'm in this. Beltane, the placement of it on the wheel of the year in the calendar, is not an accident. It's the same thing with Samhain. It's the same same idea because birth and death are the same. They're just different inversions of one another. In the North, I know for myself Our Samhain, October 31st, totally feels like a new turn and a new chapter. It doesn't really feel like, oh, you know, the end. It feels incredibly um, potent and powerful, a different tone to it than Beltane, but very much the start of something, the energetic renewal of something. It is absolutely a turning point. So not to be too rambly, but this is super important because we can harness this. We can actually take hold of this freshness. We can link into it, latch into it in a way that it can feed us. We can literally nourish ourselves from this idea of the light, not as like a pejorative sense or not as a sense of like, oh, the light with no dark, like, you know, you got to have the dark with the light. It's not a sense of duality. It's the literal speaking about what it is to lean into the sun, its warmth, what it can make grow. There's incredible potential here. And we want to really think of this time of May as the spark that lights the fire, because that's what it is. So let there be light. 
Let there be light that comes in to us, awareness, creativity, sexuality, connections, sparking of new ideas, and let there be light that comes from us, us sharing our ideas, us teaching, us putting ourselves out there, taking risks, stepping into new zones. This is what it's all about. And we got that backup from Three of Wands. We got that backup from King of Wands. Like these are our cards for the month about movement forward. What we're leaving behind in April is Queen of Swords. We're not in the cave anymore. It's time to step out. It's warm, it's safe, and we can do it. It's really great. By the way, always have to provide this as a disclaimer. Feelings aren't always fact. You might not feel great in any moment of this month, but that still doesn't mean that the potential is not there for there to be a lot of light, for there to be a lot of awareness, change, birth, renewal. It's there. We just might not feel what the mind is, you know, it might not feel joyful. This is what I always say when I teach the sun. Sun card is not necessarily a joyful card. Feelings don't always match with what, you know, those experiences are. The sun is about embracing the light, tuning in, getting all these insights, starting again. So too with this, so too with May. May is a month of light bearing. It's a month of flame keeping. And as I said, it's a month of all these different sparks in the dark that ignite and will ignite all these new journeys in our lives. Um, again, if you've been nurturing, nourishing, creative ventures, if you've been ready to step out and offer them and you're courageous enough or ready to be courageous enough to let them, quote, fail or succeed, as in not judging whether or not one person signs up for your program or a hundred do, this is your month. Because even if one person signs up for your program, it's going to prepare you to put out the next one, teach yourself, know what you need to do for next time. There's no such thing as failure. It's about boldness. So where can we tap into that boldness? We're asking ourselves that this month. If you've been waiting to travel, to meet someone, to do something that you've never done before, May is, might not be the month to meet that person or try that thing or like get on a plane, but it is the month that will wind up rooting and preparing you for those things to start coming through later. And of course, like everyone has a different idea meeting someone and traveling are two like pretty you know common examples of dreamy options for people but they don't have to be for you it could be that you graduate and it could be that you get that thing that you've been saving up for or it could be that you know whatever's in your heart whatever is something that you've deeply been longing for without comparison to anyone else it's possible to receive it and to make it happen for yourself this month. We've done the work in the void. That's something that really, really, really came through when I was channeling this. The It's not that we're not going to do work with darkness anymore, but the void is we're not in that right now. We're in a space where we're actually out of the womb through the birth canal. And now it's like, holy shit, what do I do with this? Who am I out of here? Who would I be without 
this trauma? Who would I be without my relationship to this trauma or my relationship to this story, this relationship? Who am I without this? Who am I to shine my light as full as it can go? And who am I to be open to forms of light coming to find me that are not harmful, but instead profoundly helpful for me? That's the reckoning of this month. It's not that shit is hard. It's that shit is really good. And it's about us letting it be good and seeing what our relationship is to staying in that goodness, staying in that flow. It's really powerful, but it's a different kind of work. Um, we are, whether we're aware of it or not, reborn, refreshed, ready to create something completely different with our lives. And I'm going to break it down for you. If you survived this Mercury retrograde in Aries, if you made it through Aries season, you're, you're all right. You know, like anybody who made it through that moved through the lessons that arose from that are ready. And everybody listening to this did, you know, everyone, not people not listening to this did. There were invitations that were really, whether we were aware of it, life or death in that transit. There were decisions, there were choices that we, we made, that we were confronted with, that we had to let our heart choose. We had to let ourselves feel into, choose, make decisions for ourselves and say yes from a soul place. And for many of us, for maybe some of us who didn't even know it, that has cleared a huge amount of energy and karma from the system. And maybe you didn't have words for it. Maybe upon hearing this, you're realizing like, whoa, that's what happened with that horrible thing with my coworker. Maybe that's why I had to go through this like random ass procedure. Like I'm not necessarily saying like, oh, there's a why for everything, but there was a very, very powerful um, sense of alignment to what came up, came through in the last few weeks in Aries season. That was the womb. That was the void. That was another version of what we did in Pisces season before we came through in Aries and then like immediately went into a retrograde basically for this exact purpose so that we could do work in this Mercury retrograde so that we could clear things up before Chiron went into Aries so that we can make sure that we were in right alignment to prepare ourselves for Uranus shifting into Taurus, which is huge and is going to be providing many, many, many changes to the way we heal, to our relationship, to our freedom, to our body, to our money. There's a lot here. And when we look at the idea of Taurus, which Uranus is about to go into, we have to think of Venus. Venus is the planet, sure, of love and beauty and material things. But it's also what we cherish, what we hold dear, what we hope for. It's our connection to the sensual. It's all of those lovely things to the body. If we're not willing, able to consider expanding our capacity to receive a lot of those really beautiful things 
can't come through or will be just kind of hanging out in front of us or we'll say no to them without realizing that they're gifts. So it's nothing to worry about. It's just a forecast and an, and a clarification on the bigness of what it is to work with this idea of letting light in and letting light come from us out into the world. It's all kind of happening astrologically as well as it just being our mantra for the month. So it's a time of creation and we're doing it, setting forth on this amazing, beautiful day where on one part of the world, we're honoring like spring and summer and growth and life. And on another part of the world, we're honoring death, the life that comes from death. We're honoring releasing. We're honoring what's letting go of us. It's all the same. And either way, we're making room for what wants to come through, letting the light in. So the month is providing us with this perfect platform to create, but also to expand and to upgrade. And with that, I'm going to start talking about our reading for the month. So the medicine for the month, the card that came through was three of wands. So three of wands is a card I don't think we've ever pulled before for the monthly medicine. And I'm delighted to talk about it because three of wands is like, it's tricky. It's tricky in a great way. There's like a trick to it and a, a layer to it that I don't see many people always talk about, but it is there. And it's like, I don't know, like a secret piece of cake that you didn't know was in the fridge for you <laughs> or whatever your equivalent to that is. I love cake, so that's good for me. Um, okay. Three of Wands is absolutely exactly what you think it is. If you're familiar with the card, it's a card of new beginnings and potential collaborations and creativity and new projects and like all the good stuff. However, there's also something, a relationship with the Three of Wands that's really powerful and applies to us this month. Okay. Three of Wands is like a mini chariot. So when the chariot card, we kind of work through this relationship to attaining or working our asses off for something we really, really, really want. And at the end, when we receive it, we have to take an inventory. Does it serve us or does it not? Did we get this thing, this job, this opportunity, and it, it actually isn't what we want? Do we have to break down the, the quote, good-looking chariot to step forward into uncomfortable waters to actually find what serves us? Or is it amazing, a meeting with our destiny, and can we let ourselves celebrate that? Either way, the chariot is this beautiful omen of success and victory and a signal to us that if we work hard enough and if we come out of our shells and if we are willing to step into a place of discomfort for our growth, pretty much anything that we're going to work for, we can get. The three of wands is very similar to that in that it tells us anything that you have the zest and the zeal to create for yourself, anything you have the potential to begin to create it in your own way, on your own platform, within your own sphere, whatever that is in personally, professionally, et cetera, no matter what it tells us this. However, 
The Three of Wands also says, what is it that you've been doing that you're now a little tired of? What is it that you've been teaching that you now like to shift and become a student of? It's this powerful spark of knowledge and of curiosity that can take us when we're at this level of doing something new. So in other words, to decode that, the three of wands comes up when we're ready to embody student and teacher at the same time, when we're ready to step up and escalate our lives and especially our creative ventures to the next level, next with a capital N, big time. This is like us really going after, really saying yes to the thing that we have wanted and asking for it and being clear and not sweating when it doesn't come from this first person, but it might come from person 12 or two or 10, whatever it is. It is the next level of our creative mastery, what we're bringing to the world. And at the same time, it asks us to cultivate a beginner's mind because usually when we get the three of wands, we are hungry for something new. We might even be getting a little bored, not with anything that we're doing, but we just might be interested to become students again. So it's a powerful time to begin to learn from your students if you're teaching or if you're in that position to be able to take classes, to refresh yourself, maybe even on something that you think you know, why not? Why not try to expand your knowledge and to extend knowledge? There can be immense power to that. So we're coming into a space where we're going to be hungry for something different where we reach this height and then say, okay, now what? And that's exactly what we've been doing. Everyone listening to this, wherever you're at has been appropriate for you, even if it's real good. But why not ask to be expanded? It's not like you're asking for more. You're asking for more evolution. It's great. So with your next level comes an opportunity to be a total newbie, to be a total student at whatever it is that you're pursuing. The three of wands asks us to be open. And this is the quintus, it's the perfect card for this idea of both letting the light in and letting the light out. We let the light in, we let in new knowledge, new opportunities, new chances to learn and, and play and grow. And we let the light out of us, we let the best stuff out of us without being afraid that we're going to be rejected. And we might be afraid, but it doesn't need to hold us back. Big time stuff. So three of wands has this small little layer to it that says, okay, not only is this kind of a magical apex of an opportunity to expand and grow and share your gifts and new opportunities, new creativity, but also how are you shifting into a space where you're becoming just as deep of a student as you are a master. So there's this wonderful revitalization of learning that comes with this card. What we're leaving in April is Queen of Swords, and I'm happy to see the back of her. Love this card, but see you later. 
Queen of Swords is the card we get when we're learning to cultivate boundaries, when we're working with our words, and especially when we're doing deep work on grounding our thoughts and our emotions. She's ruled by air and water, so she does the work around the inner realm of the thoughts of the mind and she does the work around the inner realm of the emotion it's a very powerful place for her to be and when we do work in queen of swords and this is very uh resonant of what all of us have been called to do in april when we work with this kind of energy we're looking at you know our relationship to what's my truth you know are my emotions you know, not valid, all emotions, all emotions are valid. Are my emotions matching the fact? Do they need my comfort, my care? Um, do my thoughts match my emotions? It, it's been a jumble. And when we work with Queen of Wands, it or sorry about that, Queen of Swords, it's work. It's, it's not playtime. It's really hard work. And because the Queens rule the inner realm, it's not like reaching out of us. It's all about just the particular pool of water that we happen to be in based on the queen that we're working with. Queen of wands is a lot sweeter of a pool than queen of swords. Queen of swords is like a freezing cold plunge pool where we're asked to kind of do this really deep conditioning and training. Again, it's void work. And she is the perfect ally for that. She's also the perfect ally for clarity with our truth, which all of us have done work in. And it's not as though we're not working with our truth anymore. It, Aries season and this retrograde in Aries have been essential to clarify, well, what's my truth? What am I looking for? What do I want? All of that has been very important. And we're finished working with her. And what we're going to be moving through in May is King of Wands, which is a very happy and very welcome sight for me. <laughs> so King of Wands, you couldn't ask for a greater ally again for the energy of the month ahead, for letting the light in and for all of our beautiful um all the beautiful opportunity that we get to kind of touch and touch into in the three of wands. The king of wands is a trailblazer. If you heard my podcast on the king's, um, you know, in the episode I released last week, he's like Steve Jobs. And not the aspect of Steve Jobs that was irascible and difficult, <laughs> you know, it was potentially the face for a lot of other people's work. Um, and maybe even that's not the best example, but the idea of someone who invents something, someone who thinks differently, somebody who connects with things in a different way. Um, there are a lot of examples of people who just see things differently and they have the fire and the awareness underneath them to bring it out and not care whether or not people like it, knowing that there will be an audience for it that is just their own. So it's really perfect, but King of Wands is what we're going to be moving through this month. That means embodiment with this archetype. We're not waiting for a dude to come through and make this happen for us. We are all King of Wands. So what are we going to do with it? 
How are we going to step forward? Trust ourselves, trust our voices, book that meeting, say that thing, put out that book proposal and just not care if it's rejected or accepted, but simply to do it because we are alive and life is within us. And if life is within us and light is within us, we must allow it to shine. So don't be afraid this month. Even if you are afraid, allow yourself the gift of stepping forward with your fear and doing it anyway. Even if it's really scary, I promise you can do it. King of Wands is double fire and he's not someone who's wild, running wild. He's someone who's learned how to master that fire, how to use it. Somebody who has double fire is someone who can make a fire anywhere. Someone who can light a fire anywhere with natural elements or not. So it's someone who knows how to tend the sacred flame. And we're being invited to let that energy permeate and marinate in our lives so that we can step forward in our own way, embodying that. What are you ready to do? What are you ready to share and express? You're going to have the opportunity to share it in a really potent way. So let it come through. It's going to be, I think, very, very tangible for all of us. It's a good month, a really good month for expansion. And the gentle message from Divine about all this is Six of Cups. Keep the heart open as you do it. Six of Cups, I have a very different treatment of that card than most people. I do not think that it is a card of getting swept away in nostalgia. Um, and I don't think it's that because I don't think it's particularly useful. And when I think of the idea of all tarot cards being deep medicine for the soul's evolution, that does not feel to me like evolution for the soul. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen in the Six of Cups, but if we're opening up to nostalgia, we can either be dissociating or we can be very deeply connecting to something that opens the heart, that helps us to remember who we were before we were broken or before we were in heartache. And the highest vibrational treatment of this card is in spite of the invitation back into, quote, better times, we stay with what's painful or we stay with what makes us want to float away and we keep the heart open both to our pain, to our fear, and to all the goodness around us. There's almost nothing in the Six of Cups card, especially in the Rider Waite, that indicates floating into nostalgia. It lets us know that the being on the Five of Cups, who was so broken by the loss of the supposed loss of his three cups with the two full ones behind him that he just can't see yet, that card, the six, is the renewal of him. He becomes a child again. Not he goes back to being a child. And even if he was, it's the first card in the Rider Waite, the Smith Rider Waite, where we see anything in the cup. There are flowers in the cup, where we see him offering the card again, his cup again, since the two of cups. It's a cause for celebration. Whether we're remembering or not, it's an invitation. It's a heart opener. You know, it's Hawthorne. Hawthorne is a big time heart opener. 
And it's a very important part of May, a very important part of this month. So as we venture into all these new things, blaze forth, share our truth, share our light, blah, blah, blah. Let ourselves be seen. Let ourselves see others. Shift into a space of receiving. Keep the heart open. Stay tethered to your truth. It's the perfect softness, the perfect ingredient of softness that we need in this month to keep us balanced with all this fire and light. It's perfect. So keep your heart open. We have two really potent moons this month and a really important astrological event. So we have a full moon in Taurus on May 15th. We came into this month pretty much on the wings of the full moon in Scorpio, which was no joke, and really kind of tied a bow in all the work that we did in Aries season and even before that. It was really this portal of the eyes opening, of transformation, all that stuff. And that happened just a few days ago um, on the 29th of April. Yeah. So about two days ago, the moon is now in Sagittarius, but we are still feeling the after effects of that full moon in Scorpio. And it's not an accident that we come into this space of light after a deep kind of dance with the sacred serpent in the energy of Scorpio and with death card energy. So we have a new moon in Taurus on May 15th, which is the moon the moon to back everything that we're saying up. Taurus, Taurus has it all. If you're ready for something new, if you're ready for it to be grounded in reality, if you're ready for it to be beautiful, if you're ready for it to be connected to Venus, to your body, to sensuality, to your money, to your career, this is your moon. New moons are all about new beginnings, planting new seeds. Utilize it. And it's also not an accident that on the exact same day, around the same time, Uranus goes into Taurus, which is a huge event, and I believe an 80-year event. So Uranus is our planet of the unexpected. Uranus is Uranus rules the fool. So we can think about this, and you know, it can be interesting sometimes to break up our astrological charts, which is something that my friend. Jeff Hinshaw does, or Trash Canyon, who's the host of astrology or host of uh, Cosmic Cousins. He will often break up the astrological chart, like Mercury, where's our Mercury, our Venus, our Jupiter, etc., and will parlay them into tarot cards. So, if we're thinking about, well, what's my Uranus? What's the significance of that? We can think of that as our place with the Fool. So if we've got Uranus, our fool, in Taurus, then we're working with fool energy that is centered around Hierophant energy and centered around the Empress because the Empress is ruled by Venus. So all that to say that Uranus is our connection to freedom and to liberation and to really that sense of flight that exists within us and that desire for mystery and freedom. Um, and Taurus is the sign of finances and the body and the sensual, etc. So it's the bull. It's also the Hierophant. 
And so we're changing around this new moon in Taurus. We're changing the way that we associate ourselves with freedom. We're changing the way that we we're grounding it a bit. We're rooting it a bit. We're beginning to honor what we want to do rather than trying to force it. Like we don't have to, there's a lot of trauma, karma shifting with this change in Uranus because so many of us carry past life trauma around being imprisoned or being part of a caste system or being enslaved in some way. We can be enslaved even in a marriage. So many of us carry, and by the way, so many people carry that in their actual lives and their ancestry. Obviously that goes without saying, and it's completely different, but a lot of us carry that kind of unnameable, weird feeling that we could be like imprisoned at any moment or our lives could be taken from us in any moment. And Uranus moving into Taurus is helping to clear that out. It's helping us to get into our truth and it's helping to shift the way that we relate to money, relate to Venus, relate to our bodies. It's very powerful. And, and the apex of that during this new moon is a really important place for us to visit. And then we have a full moon in Sagittarius on May 29th, which is, we'll be in Gemini by then. But the fact that in this month we have moons in Taurus and Sagittarius is just such a perfect way to back up and kind of confirm and affirm all of this beautiful work on light and movement and expansion because full moons in Sag are where it's at. It's truly, you know, Sagittarius is the archer. It's the thinker. It's the philosopher. And it's also a fire sign and one with a lot of rooting and intelligence. So if we're connecting full moon energy to that, it's real good. Very connected with freedom and with expansion and with, again, the passion and fire behind us and the intelligence behind us to back that up. So really lovely stuff here. And, um, you know, I've talked about this a little bit, but we're moving from Taurus to Gemini in May. Um, and that means we're moving from the Hierophant to the Lovers. So the Hierophant is a very important card, one that I've talked about a couple times, but it's an opportunity for us to center into our truth. A Hierophant is someone, by definition, who was able to decode or unpack the great mysteries, so to speak, teachings written in other languages, maybe Bible passages, maybe the tarot, whatever it is. Somebody who was confident or said to be open to understanding these great mysteries so that they could share them with other people. The Hierophant is teacher. And we sometimes refer to a kind of person like this as a guru. And we sometimes refer to people like this as a master. They're just humans, just teachers, but we sometimes like to refer to them that way and look to a hierophant as someone who has an elevated sense of power. So if that's the case, first of all, all of us are hierophants. Even if we deify someone, we're all capable of this, of decoding and unpacking the mysteries of life everyone. And let's take it out of spiritual context for a moment because the Hierophant 
often comes up in readings and has nothing to do with that. We have to always think of the tarot as usefulness. And um, that's not just me placing my respect for usefulness onto the tarot. It's really just spirit. Like we're not always, when we pull this card, going to be working with like our relationship to gurus and our channel. We're going to be looking at what we're believing. So a hierophant is somebody who's connected in some way to something spiritual, almost always. It's a relationship between the purity of the intuitive spiritual connection to, to God and to source and the fact that we're human beings with these brains and these prejudices and these feelings and these thoughts and these traumas and all this beautiful, intense human complication. And we have to hold both in order to be a pure channel. We have to know when something's creeping in that's not actually the light, that's not actually source, that's not actually the truth. That's not the truth. The Hierophant is our helper to help us determine, is this your shit from when you were a kid or is this spirit? Is this actually what you think a card means or is this your fear about it? And if it's your fear about it, you better be damn careful before you teach it to somebody else. That's what the Hierophant says. The Hierophant in the Smith Rider Waite is the first card in the deck that has more than one person on it. That's very significant. We can, you know, if we want to take the Hierophant out of big spiritual esoteric like priest terms, think about parenthood. How many times have you, whether you have children or not, if you've been in close relationship with a child, whether you've been babysitting your little sister, whatever it is, how many times have you parroted back to a child what your parent has told you without even thinking about it? How many times have you let language or belief systems or fears or wanting to stop them from being hurt override your natural instincts with a child? And I'm not a mother, and I can tell you that's happened to me many times where I've been like, God damn, that was like, I don't know, I, I was totally unconscious of me. Where children, I mean, are such beautiful teachers to us, but they're also mirrors of us. So a lot of the time in those moments of difficulty or of challenge or when we are challenged, we don't even need to snap at children, but even the way we want to protect them on the playground is if we're in that relationship with them is a symbol a lot of the time of how we were raised. And a lot of that tends to come to the surface when we're doing that. The hero font being in front of two kneeling people, that is essentially the kind of spongy purity that children come to us with. So how are you speaking to your children? Are you conscious? Are you awake when you do it? I don't care that if, no one cares if there's a moment of anger or frustration with children, but if there is a consistent feeding of things that your mom told you that isn't your truth, then it's time when we pull the Hierophant to change it. What were your beliefs? Beliefs. Beliefs feel so true. Beliefs are what drive people to murder in the name of God because they feel so true. What 
were your beliefs about your safety, about money, about school, about class, about race, about culture? What were you taught based on where you lived about the world? What kind of place did you grow up? Was it safe to go outside? Was it so safe that now it's created a different reality for you than some? What was your relationship to law, to police? These are all really powerful, all really centered in our belief systems. It doesn't mean they're not true, but it always means when we pull the hero font that we're being asked to review if it is. So it's really important to do our work in that because we can pass that along to other people. If I don't do my work in this card, I can harm students. I can harm people with what I'm saying. And there are times when it's been really important for me to review something that I've said, not necessarily because it harmed and maybe it did, but if someone, if, if at any point I'm saying something that's based on my unexamined beliefs, I better get my shit together. And that is always what the Hierophant tells us to do. The only way we can be really pure, clean channels for anything that wants to come through that is, you know, the highest it can be, we have to do our work on the human level to determine, well, what is my belief about what that means? You know, and it's very strong, very powerful, but Hierophant is not just a static state of, oh, a great teacher's coming in or we're the great teacher. It's, it's work. As someone who does not consider, like, I am not a Hierophant, please, but I'm a teacher who claims to be someone who has something to say about a completely ancient tool just because I do. I, you know, People can take it or they can leave it. But if I'm not doing my work, then I have the potential to harm people. And anyone who claims to be teaching anything, even if you're a parent, is has a massive amount of responsibility. So the Hierophant is a, a barometer to our code of ethics around what we're sharing, how we're speaking, how we're treating other people, how we are connecting to our channel and that filter you know, is there a need to clean the filter? Often with Hierophant, there is. And there's a need to, it doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong, we're hurting anybody, by the way. But there is a need to review beliefs. And by the way, sometimes with the Hierophant, it doesn't even have anything to do with your relationship as a teacher. On a personal note, I remember when I was just starting to consider breaking conversation ties and, um, with the person in my family who was very abusive to me, which I had not considered before, um, I was pulling this card all the time back in 2013, 14, um, as a way for me to do some work around what is your belief around feeling that you owe your parent your time and your conversation where'd that belief come from? Is it actually true or was it inherited from you by other members of your family who have also survived abuse? 
because abuse runs in my family. So it can come up through that. What are your beliefs about that, about love, about your time, about what you owe to other people? We owe nothing to other people, nothing. If we want to give, then we give. And that can fuck people up, that idea that we don't technically owe anything to anyone. So if we want to give of it, that's beautiful. And if our soul says no, then it's a no. So it's important for us to do work on this right now. It's a big, big part of it. And by the way, the hierophant a lot of the time comes for the good stuff. Sometimes real good love, real good sex, real good money, real good opportunity wants to come through, but we're like, oh no, for one reason or another, I can't take this or I'm not sure, or I can't ask for that. You know, I can't have that or that's ridiculous or whatever. Nothing's ridiculous unless you believe it is. So why not examine your belief? It might be ridiculous at the end of your belief, but at least you can say you've examined it. So there's that. That's the work we do in the undercurrent of Taurus. What's my truth? And how does living by my truth help me to maintain right action in the best way that I can? And then when we shift into the lovers, it's about self-acceptance. It's really about accepting all parts of the self, imbibing all parts of the self, you know, the lovers is a really sexy kind of sweet card. It kind of feels like there's a little perfume in the air when we pull it. And a lot of the time it can be an engagement with something or someone external coming through to us to provide a mirror of, of our deservability, lovability, etc. But other times we're just in a vacuum with us and our stuff and learning how to come into oneness with it and see it. Um, but not everybody has a good time in Gemini season. So what the lovers can really offer us, especially as we move over to that in about 20 days, is this um, lo really lovely opportunity to be as sweet as we can. Gemini season can be really hard. So if we can connect with the lovers as this anchor of love and of the invitation into expanding our capacity to receive love, then it can really help. And if you're someone who like adores Gemini season, I, I respect and salute you. <laughs> it's always been kind of hard for me. Um, and I think that's all I got for you. Is that it? No, I think that's it. Um, thank you for being here. Let your light out. Share yourself. Go for the really courageous shit this month, you know? no matter what it is, be willing to really look at your belief systems around whether or not you can quote, have that. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm saying you can have anything you want, but it's really worth examining and really worth looking at and really worth considering, um, and talking about and stepping into a space where you try anyway. So I hope that this serves you. Um, couple different things maybe. Uh, if you liked this podcast and if you liked this episode, I would love for you to rate and review it. I'd really love if they were positive, but of course I can't make you do that. Um, but if you loved it, please rate and review. Um, it helps so much with all things iTunes, with our numbers, etc. And if you extra like it, please consider subscribing because that also helps. Um, so that's the first, I know that that's asking people to review anything is like a pain. So it means a lot to me if you're willing. Um, the second thing is that 
Uh, I have two little courses coming up. Um, I have a course on the swords, brain chemistry, on May 29th, I think, if I'm wrong on that date. I'm sorry, it's either the 28th or 29th, full moon in, full moon in Sag. Um, it's somewhere around there. Sorry if the date's wrong. It might be completely wrong. It might be the 26th now that I'm thinking about it. And quite frankly, you can look it up. It's on my website. But I am doing an online course, an online class on the swords. It's just one night. Um, and I'd love to have you there if the swords stump you or if you've always been bummed out by them. You can sign up on my website. It's 45 bucks for a two and a half hour class, which includes theory on all 10 of the swords, no court cards, and um, Q&A time with me on whatever you might need. And then I'm doing a court card immersion over the summer. It's like my wild soul summer school offering. And that's four weeks. It's 122 bucks. And for that, you get four virtual classes with me, time for Q&A, spreads, handouts, information about all of the things, and access to a Facebook group so that we can really demystify these babies. And there's a payment plan for that one. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in doing some work with me, if you'd like to save your dollars, um, and budget is important for you, I am going to open the doors to my brand new or not to my brand new, to my, um, big tarot course, tarot for the wild soul, which is eight weeks and we'll start in September. I'm going to open the doors to that on August 1st on Maven, which is actually when I created this podcast last year, you guys, love it. Um, yeah. So if you want to go further with me, great. If you don't, that's great. Uh, what else? I think that's it. I love everybody here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. It means so much. Um, have an amazing month. I think it's going to be a really, really good one. I hope I'm right. Um, I'm sending my love. I'm sending my light. And may everyone listening to this have an absolutely blessed Samhain or Beltane, wherever you are. Be well, and I will talk to you next week. 